The Holy Gospel according to Mark, the first chapter. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in the prophet Isaiah, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And the people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair with the leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. The Gospel of the Lord. My dear brothers and sisters, I bring you grace and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So this is the second Sunday of Advent, so the Sunday when we hear about John the Baptist. John shows up right at the beginning, the very beginning, of the Gospel of Mark, uh, which interestingly is the only one of the four Gospels that does not have a birth narrative. Um, and so I think the technical words would be we are in a little bit of a cognitive dissonance here because John is preparing the way for a grown Jesus who's about to begin his public ministry, even though here in church we're still anticipating his birth. Um, if you look at the, the paintings or the, the, the prints from the St. John's Bible in the narthex, it sort of reinforces that. We have the four uh, frontispieces to the Gospels. So Luke has the sort of manger scene. Matthew has the genealogy of Jesus. Both of them are talking about Jesus uh, coming as a little baby. Mark has a picture of John the Baptist pointing the way to a grown Jesus. So we're talking about John today. John, you will remember, and we just heard about it again from Kathy. You learned about him in Sunday school probably. He was kind of this strange character. He lived in the wilderness. He wore a camel hair shirt with a leather belt and ate locusts and honey. I don't want to disparage John, but my hunch is he probably didn't smell very good, and he probably wouldn't have done very well in society parties. And yet, here at the very beginning of the Gospel of Mark, the fifth verse, here's what it says about John. It says, people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. People from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him. Now, when we read the Bible, I think it's really important that we remember these are real people we're talking about. They're not cardboard caricatures. Um, they're real people with real motivations. And I think it's always incredibly important at least to try to understand why are the people in the Bible doing the things they're doing. And sometimes that means asking very obvious questions 
questions, which maybe we're afraid to ask because they're so obvious we must assume there's a good answer. And the obvious question I want to ask this morning with that one verse is, why are people going out to see John the Baptist in the wilderness? Because I can think of at least two reasons they wouldn't want to go out and see him. One of them I've already hinted at. I don't think he was sort of the most polished guy. Again, he probably, I don't, maybe he had good personal hygiene. I don't know. But I just, I have to believe he didn't smell very good. And he's eating locusts. And I just can't imagine a couple in the Judean countryside saying, hey, honey, we're kind of free this afternoon. How about we say, go see that crazy guy in the wilderness? I don't see it. So that's one of the reasons I think there's sort of a knock against all these people going out to see John. The other is, has to do with it, what it says these people were doing. It says people were going out and confessing their sins. Now, I freely grant it's another time, it's another place. Maybe that's what people enjoyed doing back then, but I'll tell you, there's sort of a, a story by a pastor, I don't remember who said this, uh, from our own time and place, who said, if I know I need a little time to myself to do some study or something, I have a simple solution. I put a big sign at the church and I say, personal individual confession Thursday noon to four, and I can be assured that no one is going to show up. So again, the person of John and what these people are doing, I think, speak against people going out in, in droves. So why are they going to see him? And to answer that, let me ask a few questions to start, which is not a test, but I, these are not rhetorical questions. So first question is, what religion was John the Baptist? Thank you. They were all here already. <laughs> nice work, choir. Um, Yes, he was Jewish. And what religion were the people going out to hear John the Baptist? Jewish. Now, were these people who were going to hear John the Baptist, were they free? Were they autonomous politically, culturally, economically, uh, religiously at the time? No. Good. Why? <laughs> you should go on the road, you guys. Um, because uh, Jerusalem was occupied by Rome. That's right, they were occupied by Rome. And here we start to understand maybe what the attraction for John was. Because who is John telling these people about? He's telling them about a Messiah who's going to come and he's going to restore these people He's going to give them back their country. He's going to give them back their identity. He's going to kick um, Rome out. So what is John doing? He's giving the people hope. And all of a sudden, the passage opens up. And now I can see that couple in the Judean wilderness feeling oppressed by the presence of this occupying force say, hey, I hear there's this guy. He's a little weird. But I hear there's this person who's reminding us that God hasn't forgotten us. Let's go hear what he has to say. Does that start to make sense in a totally different way for you? It does for me. John is providing hope. And this is a recurring theme in the Bible. And in fact, uh, it comes up in a lot of places, but the one I will turn to now is the other reading we heard for today, Isaiah chapter 40, which is picked up by the author of the Gospel of Mark and probably by the language of John himself. And this is a time that happened centuries before uh, John the Baptist lived. It's another time, though, in the, in the life of the people of Israel where they're thinking to themselves, 
Has God completely and totally forgotten us? Does God even care anymore? And this is when the people of Israel have been sent into exile by another superpower of the time, uh, Babylon. And in this time, when the people are in exile, wondering if God remembers them, wondering if God cares, uh, another spokesperson for God, this time Isaiah, comes again with words of hope. These are some of the most beautiful words of hope anywhere in the Bible. They come from Isaiah, the 40th chapter. Here's what Isaiah says, and again, when you hear these words, you have to imagine the people of Israel, they've been ripped from their home. Uh, the temple has been destroyed. Everything that is familiar to them has been taken away from them. They're living in a foreign land uh, by a foreign nation, completely oppressed. And here's what God, through the prophet Isaiah, says to these people. Comfort, O oh, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that she has served her term, that her penalty is paid, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. And then this passage that's picked up again uh, by Mark. A voice cries out, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. This is royal language. It's language about a, a general, a hero coming in on a highway in the desert, taking no prisoners and restoring his people. Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill be made low, the uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. Then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all people shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now, um, again, I mentioned this is a recurring theme in the Bible. This is one of the most beautiful passages that reinforces it. And whether you know it or not, my hunch is most of the people here have heard these words before in something that shows up very frequently at this time of year. It's one of the monumental sort of titanic uh, achievements of Western civilization artistically. I am thinking here of George Frederick Handel's The Messiah. Has anyone gone to see it this year? Or will you? Evidently, The Messiah is uh, losing some traction. Not many people are going. Is anyone planning to go see it? Maybe? Okay, a few of you. All right. Well, if you go see it, or if you have ever heard it, um, what you need to know is that not just the first, but the second and the third recitatives, uh, the three first songs, come from these first five verses in the 40th chapter of Isaiah. The very first word spoken in the Messiah is comfort. Comfort. Now, the Messiah is... Um, an amazing achievement artistically, and that's why we remember it largely. But I think we also remember it because of that universal message of comfort, universal message of hope. And whether or not you're in ancient world, in the ancient world and you have been sent into exile, or whether you're living in the Judean countryside in biblical times listening to John, or whether you're in the western suburbs of Minneapolis in 2017 asking the question, does God remember me? Does God know I'm here? Is God going to leave me alone? These words are a reminder that God never leaves us, that God always comes to us in this Advent as we anticipate once again his arrival. I pray that God will open our hearts to once again receive him and the comfort that he brings. Will you join me in a word of prayer? Good and gracious God, from time immemorial, people have wondered if you have forgotten them here in this place as we sit and question sometimes whether or not you are with us 
as we sit on our own exiles in our own senses of occupation. I pray this Advent you will prepare the way for the coming of your Son, who comes to bring us comfort. In all this we pray in the holy name of Jesus. Amen.